0: The reading today is taken from Acts 14, verses 1 to 28. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews, together with their leaders, to ill-treat them and stone them. But they found out about it, and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country, where they continued to preach the gospel. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconium language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he's not left himself without testimony He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to their faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This is God's word.
1: great God and Father, thank you for your honesty, your realism, the the truth of your word, how you prepare us for life in this world. Uh, And as we come to a strange account again and and a harsh uh, experience that your people had in the first century, would you once again prepare us for life in this world and give us a secure knowledge that you are the God who is kind, who provides and has done everything for us in Jesus Christ. Help help shape us, prepare us, we ask in his name. Amen. I don't know what you made of... um, The Press all picked up on the story of John Alan Chow. I don't know what you made of this guy, you know, the Christian who who went to this remote island off uh, the coast of India, the Sentinelese, and uh, went and, and... it's, they're well known as being sort of hostile to any outsiders, and the Indian government let them uh, live that way. And uh, so he went and was driven off the island, and, and then he went back the next day and was killed, and they're not able to recover his body. I don't know what you make of this story. Uh, it sort of made most of the newspapers and, and BBC website, etc., cetera, uh, considerable outrage. What a arrogant thing to do, how imperialistic to go to these people who didn't want him. I don't know what you made of it. I think for myself, I'm slightly conflicted uh, reading that sort of story. I, I, it seems to me he made some mistakes in how he went about things. And yet, on the other hand, his, his boldness, his courage, or you might call it naive, but extraordinary courage and willingness to do whatever it takes for people who don't know Jesus to hear about him. There's something at that level, which I I would hope everyone would say is enormously admirable, even if his methodology uh, had flaws to it. I find it quite a complicated one, but his courage I find challenging. But what should a missionary do? Or, or, Or what should a missionary church do? Here in Acts 14, I think is as good a place as any in the Scriptures to turn, I'd suggest. Uh, we've said over the last few weeks, uh, chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Acts, it's the first deliberate or planned missionary trip uh, in the whole of history. The first time that a church, the church in uh, Antioch in Syria, says, hey, we've, we've just got to tell other people about Jesus. It's just, we want them to share in this wonderful news with us. We, we'd love them to hear this. And so they deliberately plan. And uh, also a number of places get visited. Paul and Barnabas are the two key guys. Off they go on, on this journey. Uh, three incidents get highlighted. We've, we've looked at two of them. Uh, the encounter with the sorcerer in Paphos, Pisidian Antioch, uh, Paul preaching in the synagogue. Uh, and uh, this week, mainly this account in uh, Lystra. There's the journey. We'll, we'll leave that up and, and uh, refer back to it. Part of what's happening in these chapters, though, is that Luke wants to establish the normal pattern. I mean, three incidents are unusual, and he dwells upon them. But there's also a a sort of normal pattern to what's going on. Two years they took on this route, winding their way out, as far as Derby, obviously not in the Midlands, um, uh, uh, before going back to uh, Antioch in Syria. And I think, just, just by the way he repeats certain phrases over and over again, Luke is trying to say that this is normal, this is habit, this is what it all looked like. So just in the um, chapter 14, verses 1 to 7, I think here you sort of get the, the normal pattern of what's taking place. So a number of things. One, when they visit somewhere, they always go to a Jewish synagogue first. Before preaching to a non-Jewish audience, that's just Paul was committed to that. To go to the Jews first, God's historic people before others. There's always a mixed response, but he always goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentiles. Uh, hostility is growing; that's sort of normal, and you can see throughout these chapters uh, until uh, there's a game that try and stone Paul to death uh, towards the end. And again, of course, the, the thing that gets emphasised over and over again is that this is a message of grace. So there in chapter 14, and these first seven verses, it's all normal stuff, but just it's just there, because it's always there. Verse 3, Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time in Iconium, speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace, or the word of his grace, by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. They're just there to validate the message, the word of his grace. It's a phrase that comes up a few times in these chapters, just... The word of His grace, because if you're a Christian, of course you know that there is the great distinction between Christianity and any other world view or system or religion. That the heart of the Christian faith is God gives; He doesn't demand anything from you. He just gives to you, and in any other world system or view, you achieve. You earn your acceptance. You merit your place in heaven. God demands certain standards and you have to hit them. But in Jesus Christ, he gives. We take it for granted. But when you realize it afresh, it's a wonderful thing. If you walked out of here today and uh, on your way back to the car, the tube, or wherever it is, uh, on your way back home, someone just wanders up to you. Very polite man uh, uh, in a suit, wanders up to you and uh, not me, uh, not polite. He wanders up and says, hello, we've never met, but uh, here are all my credentials and I'm just going to give you £10,000. Anyway, whatever. Uh, And there's a policeman wanders by. And he said, this guy's a bit weird. And the policeman says, no, no, we know all about him. He's completely legit. He's a genuine businessman. I I can tell you, you know, you can accept his word. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know all about him in the Met. He's just a really lovely man. Oh, okay. Sorry, what were you saying to me? Um, I'm just going to give you 10,000 pounds. Right. Why? I'm generous. Why me? Don't know. Just decided to give it to you. But what have I done? Oh, you've done nothing. I just desired to give it to you. How many more questions are you going to ask before you take it? All right, enough, 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 enough. Just... And uh, off you run. What? It's just a gift. What have you done? Nothing. Well, you'd be telling everyone all about that for a little while. You'd probably go and try and find this bloke again. Uh, or send your relatives. Son, go on, off you go. Uh, meet this guy. It's just a gift. You've done Nothing. And at the heart of the Christian faith is this message of grace. God gives in Jesus Christ. He gives blessed salvation. He gives countless blessings. He gives you heaven, gives you eternity, and you've done nothing. Why you? Well, you can ask him when you see him, but it's just a gift all these things are normal. So Paul goes to synagogue uh, and then to the Gentiles as hostility grows, the message of grace. But uh, in the rest of chapter 14, uh, Luke decides to focus on two things really. One, there's the an unusual incident in Lystra, and then you get the normal pattern uh, in the second half of the chapter again. So we've got a sermon, uh, and then Paul and Barnabas', Barnabas normal practice uh, and you could summarize it really, the sermon is don't fear, the practice is keep going. But there's a bit more to it than that. So let's work through it. Uh, two different things here going on. Then there's a the sermon, uh, and then there's the normal practice. The sermon is pagans should turn from worthless things to the living God, verses 8 to 18. Uh, and then the practice, Christians should persevere in preaching and strengthening. So an unusual incident, normal practice. Let's work through them. First, then, in this sermon, pagans should turn from worthless things to the living God. That's a wordy phrase, but let me try and unpack it as we go through. Chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Now, if you've been here when we worked all our way through Acts, or you know the book, you might think, well, this sounds a little bit familiar. And it is quite familiar in that um Luke has been stre- or Luke goes on to stress that all the things that Peter, the apostle, does in the first half of Acts, Paul does the same sort of things. So both of them encounter, sor- encounter a sorcerer and have to deal with them. Peter in chapter 8, Paul in chapter 13. Both of them preach a sermon to a Jewish audience based on Psalm 16. Peter in chapter 2, Paul last time in chapter 13. Both of them turn to a man who has been lame from birth in exactly the same language. They look directly at them and tell them to get up and walk, and both do in chapter 3 and here in chapter, thir- uh, chapter 14. Now, it's not that Luke is an author who's running out of ideas. He's not just churning out yet another Lee Child novel, which is kind of the same plots, you know, big bloke beats up other people. You know, it's it's not just, oh, you know, it worked well. You know, Peter, let's just run the whole story again and call him Paul. He's making a theological point. These two different apostles, one primarily to a Jewish audience, the other to a Gentile, it's the same. It's the same gospel message over and over again. Anyway, it's Anyway, you get this miracle then, and the crowd go a little bit crazy. Uh, verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus. Paul, they called Hermes because of his handbags. No, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. Well, that's unusual. Now, you can, every commentary you read on this will tell you that uh, in this remote backwater. This is Hicksville in the Roman Empire, okay? They've not gone to a major city now. They're kind of at the end of their uh, tour. They've been driven to these cities, uh, uh, Lystra and Derby, because um, of the, the, the writing in Iconium. This is a remote backwater, but everyone knows the account that, because uh, it's written up in, by Ovid, the uh, the philosopher, you can still read it today, that they believed in Lystra that a few years earlier, Zeus and Hermes had come down to their city in human form, but no one had given them dinner. Everyone had shut their doors and said, you're not welcome here. So Zeus and Hermes had burned the city to the ground. Oh, it's not a city, it's a town. Burned the town to the ground. This had happened, you know, centuries earlier. This was one of their myths, that was well known. Now, if you believe that, if that's in your culture and you believe that's really happened, the last time Zeus and Hermes came down, they burned everything to the ground. What do you do when you think they appear again? You don't want to make that mistake. So you can imagine their sense of fear. Zeus and Hermes, the last time they burned everything. Quick, 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 get get, get the sacrifices. Put some garlands on them. Uh, Start, you know, sing songs to them, offer sacrifices to them. Otherwise, they'll start shooting laser beams from their eyes and destroying all the houses again. It's fear. They fear these gods. We must placate them. We must placate the gods lest they be angry with us. So that explains what their behavior is or what they do. Paul and Barnabas have horrified, verse 14. When the apostles, Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes. Well, that seems a bit dramatic, but they don't like blasphemy. They don't like the commandments being broken. Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. And then you get this little sermonette. No doubt it's a bit longer than than Luke records it for us here. Three sermons of Paul to uh, to unbelieving audiences get recorded for us. Last time we saw chapter 13, the emphasis on fulfillment. Chapter 17 uh, in Athens. Here, I think it's a sort of shortened little sermonette. Uh, The emphasis here to the farmers in Lystra is what Paul seems to engage them with the truth of creation. I don't... I think I'd take this as a model sermon. Paul doesn't seem to finish verse 18, even with these words. They are the difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Uh, He doesn't mention Jesus, which is not great uh, in one sense in a a sermon. Uh, There's no word of grace here. So I think it's sort of just truncated. He doesn't get to say everything he would have done because of the, the, the temperature in the crowd, as it were. But what he does say to these people, and remember, here's an audience scared. We must placate the gods, or the gods will destroy us. What does Paul say to that group? Well, it's a short sermonette. You might summarize it, God created, God waited, God is kind. It would not be a bad summary. God created, God waited, he's kind. Verse 15, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Your your idols, your, your foolish ideas, turn from them to the living God. What do we know about him? He's a creator. He made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He created everything, which means he rules over everything. It's all his. He's in charge. He created. Verse 16, he waited. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way by implication, but not now. Uh, in the past, God just sort of handed people over to their, their their folly, really. But now in Jesus Christ, you need to know this. Here we are now, says Paul, at the fulfillment of time, the climax of history. He created, he waited, and then verse 17, here's where he dwells upon. God is kind. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. He's kind. Here's a message for farmers to connect with, I guess. Crops rain. He gives what they need. But it has no impact, verse 18. The pagan farmers, they're still dominated by their fear. What's going to happen if we don't placate the gods? They're going to shoot their laser beams down on us and destroy us and burn us all fear. And to that message of fear, Paul wants to say, no, that's not what God is like. He gives. And in Jesus Christ, He is the God who gives to you. He does not demand from you. There is the world of difference there. Now, I don't think many of us here are farmers in the back end of nowhere, but uh, you're welcome if you are. But I guess then that the main point is you don't, don't fear a sort of pagan superstition, I guess is the point of this sermon. Don't have that concept of, if I don't placate the gods, they'll be angry. Don't think like that. Because in Jesus Christ, God is a God who gives to you, doesn't demand from you. And most people say, well, we don't do that. Well, plenty do. I don't, you just, you don't need to travel far in the world, you know, you can travel to places, you know, it developed world, well, you know, you go to Hong Kong and some people you encounter, this is an obsession with feng shui. It's just obsessive, you know, all, that, all these buildings and they're talking about you must control the power and have the energy going this way, otherwise the business won't work. You think what a, what a strange thing to be paralyzed. People talk a lot about feng shui in buildings in London, did you know? Apparently the building with the most feng shui in London is the Apple Store. On Regent Street, this is, this is, this is apparently the case, uh, and because it's the most successful Apple store in Europe, and the reason is because it's got good feng shui. Either that, or, or Brits are just real suckers for Apple products. You decide, you decide which it is. Um, but some people apparently, you know, you've got, you've got to placate, you got to get that right. Or lots of, you know, I remember spending time travelling around Indonesia, and just everywhere you go, every house has got a little offering outside. I know it's cultural mostly, but little. Uh, offering of little food parcels left out with uh, joss sticks and, and burning and incense. Well, why have you got this outside your house? Oh, just to make sure the gods bless us, just to keep them happy. Of course, there'll be some here at CCM, any evening, I guess, but who come from cultures uh, which have a strong belief in ancestor worship. Well, it's a funny mixture of that partly deference and respect, but partly fear if you don't. If you don't placate your ancestors, life will not go well here and now. Fear. And Paul says, don't fear. There's, one, and there's only one living God, and you don't need to placate him with your sacrifices. He gives to you in Jesus Christ. For Westerners, of course, not so many in that sort of area. But fearing life is out of control. Well, that's familiar to most. Or many, and can you do something to placate the gods so that your life you feel more in control? Here's one strange one: I had no idea about this until I uh, read it a few weeks ago. That um, in the West, in particularly London and New York, because we're crazy cities, the rise of tarot card reading. No, I knew nothing about that. I just think Live and Let Die, you know, the James Bond film. Uh, that's kind of all I think of, uh, and it's a bit of a joke, but apparently, no, this is quite on the rise. So in, in the last six months, uh, The Economist uh, in, in London, New York Times Magazine have had big articles all about it. Uh, if you want to do your Christmas shopping in Selfridges, they have a concession stand. The Psychic Sisters, you can go and have a tarot card reading there in Selfridges, just uh, on Oxford Street. Um, this, What? Isn't it just nonsense and, uh, and silliness? Well, apparently not, says lots of people. But why? Apparently it's pronounced on the rise. The article I read, uh, uh, the, the, the woman who wrote it, Daisy Wall, who is a tarot reader, uh, she was asking, why has it become so popular? I mean, you're making a living from this. Lots of people in London are making a living from this now. I thought her response was quite interesting. She said, our 24-hour news flow constantly rams home. The idea that life is teetering on a cliff edge. The economy is teetering on collapse. Politicians are teetering on the brink of taking us into conflict. So our news flow constantly makes us fearful. Fair observation. Well, once upon a time, people may have turned to organized religion. Today, we're left with a void. And in that void, tarot offers spiritual perspective. And offers people hope. I'm fearful. Well, pay me enough money and I'll tell you the future. I'll give you hope. Here's how you complicate your fear. Interesting, uh, she was asking, what are the things that people ask about most? You would, wouldn't be surprised. Sex, money, love, career. Those are the four things she says that people are Anxious about more than anything else. We could have guessed that. Children not there. I don't know. Is that family? Not sure. She says, "Oh, she's, she's asked. How often do you consult your cards?" She, I find it impossible to make any decisions now without consulting the cards. What a crazy level of paralysis, fear. Couldn't help but thinking of the famous quote of G.K. Chesterton. When a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing. He believes anything. What a, you know, just fear, isn't it? Why tarot? What Daisy Waugh would say, fear. People fear their lack of control over sex, money, love, career. And Paul would say, don't fear any sort of pagan superstition. Don't do those things. Know what God is like. He's a good God. He created. He controls all things. He's waited, but now is the fulfillment of time in Jesus Christ. He's kind. He's not a God who demands offerings from you. He gives to you in Jesus Christ. He pays for all that you owe in Christ. So turn from worthless things to the living God. But God is kind. That's the sort of unusual incident, Okay uh on the tour um but of course it doesn't quite end there i think after that you get more normal habits in one sense of paul and barnabas's missionaries so let's push up. verses 19 to 28 christians should persevere in preaching and strengthening okay christians should persevere in preaching and strengthening so Paul's speech is one of the most effective of his sermons, I guess you'd have to say. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. Well, hold on a minute. I mean, it's not obvious on, on the map here. But if you're in Lystra, to come from Antioch, that's over 100 miles away. I mean, that's pretty motivated anger, isn't it? You know, you've driven Paul and Barnabas out. And you go, oh, they're, they're preaching in Lystra, Hicksville. Well, let's go and get them there. And this is a crowd travel. A hundred, I mean, that's pretty motivated, the anger against them anyway. Um, verse 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. They won the crowd over. Oh. It's easy to read, isn't it? They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Now, that's a brutal thing. It mean, it's easy to read, isn't it? But to stone someone to death, that's a brutal thing. He survives. And in verses 21 to 25, then, we get a, a summary of the sort of things that they did on their travels. These are the sort of things that they did on this two-year tour. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra Iconium in Antioch. Well, there's the first thing. They preached the gospel. I mean, that's obvious, isn't it? What would you do if you'd been stoned to the point of death for sharing the gospel? You'd get up and the next day you'd do it again. I mean, that's very impressive, I think you'd have to say. He got up and did it all over again, verse 21, in Derby, in verse 25, in Perga. He just keeps going with that. Wherever they went, whatever the cost, they kept preaching, there is a living God who rules over all. He is gracious, and he's kind, and that's supremely seen in Jesus Christ. So they keep preaching, it would be one thing. Secondly, they, they strengthen disciples in the faith. They return to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now, if you just look at the map, it's fairly obvious. The um uh, uh They go out on the red, the red line, and they go back on the blue line. Now, if you're in Derby and you want to go to Antioch in Syria, Google Maps would not send you on the blue line. It just, you know, that is not the way you go if you want to get back quickly. If you've been beaten and you're exhausted and you want to get back home, you can see, you just go, well, if you're poor, you go via Tarsus. You can pop in and see mum and dad, get a home-cooked meal. That's where he comes from. But they go back the way they've come. The reason being to... Strengthen the disciples and encourage them to remain true to the faith. It's just a key part of what any church needs to be doing, a Christian's doing. You preach the gospel, but then strengthening disciples keep going. Remaining true to the faith. So there's clearly then a, a, an objective, recognized body of truth. We Now have it written down in the scriptures. Remain true to the faith. And they appoint local elders, that's a part of it, in terms of uh, strengthening. But you see, there's a special focus in verse 22 on how they strengthened. Strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith, they said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And, um, well, Paul would have the, presumably the, the lump, the lumps, the bruises, on his face on his body well yeah through many hardships um but these are the sort of things that they did on this journey preached the gospel and said i'll oh, keep going and it's not straightforward always the christian faith the christian life but that isn't always super popular plenty will offer a more tepid form of christianity we had a very lovely guy. Um, uh, our office is next door. A lovely guy, Abraham. He worked on the desk there for a number of years. Really, just delightful, sweet man. Very friendly, very kind. Helped us out loads. Uh, lovely bloke, Christian man. But um, he watched a lot of drivel. I mean, you got you got, got a bit of time on your hands as a doorman, particularly at the weekend. He used to watch a lot of drivel uh, of Christian nonsense. And um, you chat to him, and what are you watching? Oh, this video that tells me I'm going to be wealthier next year if I have more faith. And this one which says, I can have my best life now. And uh, and you try, you engage with him, and he'd say, but it makes me a bit sad, because here I am, and I'm not wealthier. My I find living as a Christian quite hard. You would engage a little bit. But he'd say, no, but all these guys, they're, they're telling me on the internet, all these preachers are telling me that I should be wealthier now, everything should go better now. And Of course, it just made him sad. It's actually quite a cruel message when you're dishonest. Uh, And Paul says, one of the ways you strengthen believers is just by reminding people that in this life, we go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. It's just how it is. Just expect that. Don't be surprised. Don't make promises the Bible doesn't. So we can hear the normal things they did then, that they preached the gospel, they strengthened uh, the disciples. Uh, and one says, you could just summarize it, or thirdly say, they kept going. They just kept going. I mean, there's real perseverance here, isn't there? Chapter 13, uh, verse 50, in, um, in Pisidian Antioch, the Jewish leaders incite people against them. They're driven out of Pisidian Antioch in chapter 13, verse 50. Chapter 14, verse 6, they're forced to flee from uh, Iconium. Lystra, they're stoned. And they just keep going. They just keep going. (laughs) I don't know what we make at the moment in a completely different way. It seems to me Theresa May gets enormous credit at the moment just because she keeps going. Um, I mean whatever you make of her offer, of her Brexit deal, it may be terrible, but everyone goes, well, she is keeping going. Uh, I mean, it is quite amazing. She just keeps going. Sometimes there is something impressive about keeping going. Here, these they just keep going, despite the hostility. For a closer example, the case that rumbles on still in the press of Asia Bibi. Where is she? Where is Asia Bibi? You know, this woman in Pakistan who... Almost a decade ago now, drank from a metal cup at a well. Some of her Muslim neighbors outraged. You, we don't, we mustn't share a drinking vessel with you. You'll, you'll pollute us. It's sort of a mixture of religion and caste system, I guess. It's a confusion thing. But outraged that she drank from the same thing, assault her. Of course, she's beaten in front of her own family, in front of her children. In prison then for, was it nine years that she spent in prison? Of course, the Pakistan court now, the Supreme Court has said, oh, she is innocent. All, all, all the accusations against her, they're a complete pack of lies. It's all nonsense. She must be free. But of course, riots in Pakistan, the British government too scared to grant her asylum because there may be riots against the British embassy. I mean, it's pathetic. Um, but there's a woman who's just kept going in, and- you know, it's fairly well documented, that when she was being beaten in front of her own children, she said to the women who did it, I believe in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the sins of mankind. What did your prophet Muhammad ever do to save anyone? Well, you might question the wisdom, at that moment of time of saying that to an audience who's attacking you. What extraordinary bravery to say that. Look, I believe in Jesus Christ who died to save. I I believe in a God who gives, a God who is kind. Not like your Muhammad, your Allah, who demand, demand, demand. You must live this way. If you live a good enough life, you may deserve a place with me. I don't believe in him. I believe in Jesus Christ who gives, who's gracious when we don't deserve it. She, again, is an extraordinary example, I think. Christians should persevere. So look, there you get in chapter 14, two things really, a sermon and normal practice. The sermon, don't fear, the practice keep going. Don't fear, don't fear superstition of any kind. God is not a God who you have to placate with your offerings. He's a God who's kind, who gives. In Jesus Christ, he's given all that we need. He has died for all that we've done wrong. He gives us blessings we don't deserve. He's a gracious God. So don't fear. That's the God who is the true and living God and rules over this world. Don't fear. But just keep going. Sharing the gospel, encouraging disciples. Keep going. Keep going. That's what a church should be like. Don't fear. Go. Okay. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you that the one who rules over the universe, the true and living God, who created all things and rules all things, is kind. That you give. You give us the things we need for life in this world. You give us rain. You give us crops. You provide. Father, thank you that your kindness is demonstrated supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though we were completely undeserving, came and lived a perfect life so that we may receive all the blessings that he deserved and who's borne our curse, who's paid for all that we've done wrong. Father, you're very kind in sending the Lord Jesus for us. Would we cling to you as one who is good, kind, Know that you're like that. Know that it's not our offerings that have to placate you. That's not what you're like. But you're a God who is good, who is kind. And would we therefore persevere in following you and in speaking of
0: you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.